Okay, let's open our Bibles together. If you want to find John chapter 1, uh, we will pick it up in verse 35. While you're finding that, we're starting a new sermon series today, and I thought it'd be fun to start that out with a little quiz. Um, we do this sometimes in the car, and we're traveling uh, long distances to Tennessee, 11 hours in the car, have to keep the kids occupied. So we do these little games and stuff, and I thought it'd be fun to do one uh, together this morning. I will give you a clue, and then you have to decide the answer, right? So here's the clue. I love animals and help them get better when they are sick. I am a veterinarian, right? Here's another one. I wear a uniform to work. Even though I play games on the job, I get paid a crazy amount of money. I am a Politician, <laughs> yeah, no. uh, professional athlete. <laughs> All right, this is a good laugh. Here's one. I would eat pizza for breakfast, lunch, and supper. I would play video games all night long. I smell like weak old socks. Even after a shower, I am a teenager. Good job. Last one, I might belong to one of over 33,000 denominations, but I might not. I might believe the Bible is true, but I might not. I might attend worship services with a local church, but I might not. I might read the Bible, but I might not. I might believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation, but most of us don't. I am a Christian. Now, hopefully, that clue makes you think, what is a Christian? That's a question. What is a Christian? Sociologists today say that there are over 2 billion Christians living in the world. But secular sociologists define a Christian as anyone who identifies as a Christian. Regardless of what they believe, regardless of how they live, regardless of who they worship, Anyone who identifies as a Christian, sociologists say, that's a Christian. My question is, is that true? Is there any defining factor that makes somebody a Christian? Or is it really just, I don't know Jesus, I don't worship Jesus, I don't believe the Bible, but I'm a Christian, therefore I am a Christian, right? What is it that makes somebody a Christian? That's, that's the question. Well, I think if we're going to, to understand the answer to that, we should go to the Bible, because Christianity came out of the Bible. So how does the Bible define a Christian? Rather than let a secular sociologist who might be an atheist tell us what a Christian is, what if we look at the source of Christianity itself and see if that has any wisdom to offer about what it means to be a Christian? It's interesting that the word Christian only appears in the Bible three times. Only three times in all of the Bible. Right? And the first time is in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So looking at that verse, who is it that were called Christians? It's okay to talk. Who is it that were called Christians? The disciples. This is, a, this is in Antioch. And it was the disciples who were first called Christians. So here we have from the Bible, from the source of Christianity, here we have the definition of a Christian. A Christian is a disciple of Jesus. That's what a Christian 
is a disciple of Jesus. Now, one of the reasons I think there's some confusion about this in our world today is because even within the church, we often think that there's a difference between being a Christian and being a disciple, right? All disciples are Christians, but not all Christians are disciples. All beagles are dogs, but not all dogs are beagles. And we think, okay, well, there you have Christians. These are the normal Christians. These are the ones that believe the Bible is true, that go to church 1.7 times a month, that have prayed the sinner's prayer and are just trying to get through life. And then you have disciples. These are the Christians who go above and beyond the call of duty. These are the special ops Christians who can quote Bible verses. Boom, 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 boom. Right? These are the ninja Christians who can defeat Satan. Wah! Like, right? These are the Christians who, who volunteer for leadership positions in the church. These are the Christians that don't just attend Bible studies, they teach them. These are the Christians that become pastors and missionaries and overseers and elders and and they're the disciples. And I don't really have those kind of skills or that kind of time or want to make those kind of sacrifices. So I will just be a Christian and I'll let the really committed people be the disciples. And there's all this confusion because we think that being a Christian and being a disciple are different things. But that's not true. That's not true. In the Bible, there are three categories of people who come around Jesus. There are the crowds. They came by the hundreds, sometimes even by the thousands, to hear a good sermon and to see some miracles. They'd heard all about who Jesus was. They came out, oh, Jesus is in town. Let's go see him. Maybe he'll give us a free lunch with some bread and fish. You know. uh, so they came out to hear a good sermon, to see some miracles, but they weren't following Jesus around. They weren't trying to imitate his way of life. In fact, the crowds included some people who were Jesus' enemies, who were trying to trip him up. So you have the crowds. They're not the disciples. They're just coming out for the show. Then you have the disciples. These are the people that traveled with Jesus as often as they could. These are the people that tried to imitate his way of life. And contrary to popular opinion, there were more than 12 The disciples, there were a lot more than 12. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 72 of them to preach the gospel of his kingdom, right? We know by the time of his death and crucifixion and resurrection um, that there were at least 120 because in Acts chapter 2, there were 120 disciples that were gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. So there weren't just 12 disciples, there were a bunch of disciples, at least 70 to 120, maybe more. They traveled around with Jesus as much as they could. They tried to imitate his way of life. Within that larger group of disciples, Jesus chose 12 and appointed them to be apostles. These are the 12 apostles, the, the, the leaders of God's church, of Jesus' movement. These are the ones that we know from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thomas, Judas, right? The 12 apostles, Right? So there are three categories of people around Jesus in the Bible. The crowds, the disciples, and the apostles. Here's what the Bible does not have a category for. Christians who weren't disciples. No category in Scripture for that. 
No category. You can't be a Christian but not be a disciple because Christian and disciple of Jesus are two phrases or words that describe the same thing. That would be like saying, I'm a dad, but I'm not a father. No, that doesn't make any sense. Dad and father are two words that describe the same thing. That would be like saying, I'm a physician, but I'm not a doctor. I'm a teacher, but I don't teach. No, if you're a teacher, you teach. That's what makes you a teacher, right? The Bible, the word Christian and the word disciple are two words that describe the same thing. If you are a Christian, then you are a disciple. If you are a disciple, then you are a Christian. And here's the thing that's a little bit scary for the church in our world today. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, you're not a Christian. And I don't care if a secular sociologist says anyone who identifies as a Christian is one. According to the source of Christianity, Christians are disciples of Jesus. So that brings up the question, what is a disciple of Jesus? Right? I want to know because it's important to me. What is a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And that's what we're going to look at in John chapter 1, verse 35, when Jesus called his first disciples. And we'll see in this story the answer to that question, what is a disciple of Jesus? Let's read it. John 1, 35. The next day, again, John, meaning John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. So even John the Baptist had disciples, right? He was standing with his disciples in verse 36. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In this story, we see what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. 
The first thing we see is this. A disciple of Jesus is someone who acknowledges Jesus as rabbi and Messiah. A Christian is a person who has received Christ as both king and savior. Look at the titles that are given to Jesus in this passage. Lamb of God, rabbi, which means teacher, Messiah, which means Christ, son of God, king of Israel, son of man. These titles speak to two different aspects of Jesus's ministry. Some titles speak to his ministry as savior. Titles like Lamb of God, Messiah, and Son of Man speak to who Jesus is as the Savior, and some titles speak to who he is as the King. Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel, right? Jesus is the Son of God. That means he is the Lord over all of creation. He is the King of Israel. That means he is Lord over society, and and he is Rabbi, and that means he's Lord over me individually. Right? So some titles refer to Jesus as Savior. Some titles refer to Jesus as Lord or King. I think a lot of people today are more than happy to receive Jesus as Savior but have never surrendered to Jesus as King. Right? I'm great with Jesus being my Savior. I punch my get-out-of-hell-free card when I die. But don't let, ask me to give up my life for Jesus. Like I'm I get to decide how I live. Nobody gets to tell me that, right? We're happy to to receive him as Savior, but we haven't surrendered to him as King or Lord or Rabbi. Pastor Foy Bellier in his book, The Five Stones, says this, the gospel today quite often has little to do with the rule of a king. Instead, it is treated more like an insurance policy to avoid justly deserved punishment for sin within the context of eternity. This pseudo-gospel often revolves around human beings making a business deal with God that serves their own self-interest rather than Jesus the King reclaiming humanity so that it might become his own treasured possession. The heartbreaking result of this human-centered gospel is people who have some form of belief in Christ but have little experience of life in his kingdom. Have you ever felt like that? Like, I have faith, I believe the Bible's true, I believe Jesus is God, I said the sinner's prayer, but I don't really experience the power of God's kingdom in my life. Maybe it's because we haven't surrendered our lives to Jesus as our king. In my uh, late teens, early 20s, I wrestled with this a lot. I grew up in church. I could tell you all the answers to all the questions. I could take the quiz and get 100%. I could go through the membership class, share my testimony, answer the questions right, and be accepted as a member. But my faith in Jesus had virtually no impact on my life, none at all. If I stopped being a Christian on Monday, my life on Tuesday would have been no different. None, right? And I wondered, why is this so important when it doesn't mean anything? And what I found out is that I was trying to use Jesus as Savior without surrendering to him as King. But Jesus will not be used. He's either king or he's nothing. If Jesus isn't king, he's not savior either, right? So you either surrender to Jesus as king and receive him as savior or not at all. That's the question though, have you surrendered to Jesus as king? Not do you believe the Bible stories are true and have you prayed the sinner's prayer, but have you surrendered your life over to Christ as your king, as your Lord, as your rabbi? 
Disciples are people who acknowledge Jesus as rabbi and Messiah. Number two, a disciple of Jesus is someone who is following Jesus in his way of life. A Christian is a person who is living the way Christ lived. Look, at, look in the story. In verse 38, at the question that the disciples asked Jesus, where are you staying? You ever think that's kind of a weird question? Like, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for for over a thousand years that prophets have prophesied about. And here he is to save the world. And he's right there and he says, what do you want? And they say, uh, where, where are you staying? I mean, that's not the question that I would have asked if I was in their shoes. I would say, what is the meaning of life? What is the key to eternal life? Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why didn't God heal my grandpa? What is God's plan for me? Those are the questions that I would ask, not uh, where did you pitch your tent, Jesus? You know, which campground are you at? They ask him, where are you staying? What they're asking him is, can we follow you around and learn to live the way you do? We want to watch you. We want to watch how you study the Bible. We want to watch how you pray. We want to watch how you interact with other people. We want to learn to live the way you live. Can we follow you around and watch? That's what they're asking. And what did Jesus say in verse 39? What did he say? He said to them, come and you will see. Right? Sure. Follow me. Look in verse 43. When Jesus calls Philip, what does he say? What? I didn't hear. What's he say? It's okay to talk in church, you know. <laughs> Jesus invited Philip to be his disciple and he said, follow me. Do you know what he didn't say? Adopt a new set of religious beliefs. He didn't say that. In fact, I don't have any record in anywhere in the Bible of Jesus ever saying, adopt a new set of religious beliefs. But so many times when we hear verses like the Great Commission, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We, we hear verses like that and we think, that means I should go convince people to adopt a new set of religious beliefs. But that's not what Jesus invited them to. He invited them to follow him. Now that includes believing the things that he believed and valuing the things that he valued, but the invitation is follow me, not adopt a new set of religious beliefs. Uh, Corinne and I, we watched uh, NCIS. Anybody like NCIS? Yeah, after 19 seasons, it kind of started getting hokey. Um, well, to be honest, it was hokey from season one. But we, we really liked the show, but 19 seasons in, we just, just was kind of losing uh, our attention. So we decided to look for a new sitcom or something light and funny that we could watch in the evenings. Um, and we, f we found a, a TV show that was only rated PG. And we thought, well, we'll at least give this one a try. It's probably going to be clean. It's only rated PG. Uh, so it's called The Neighborhood. And it's, it's cute. It's funny. It's a funny little show. There's two families that are kind of the main characters. One of the families is Christian and one of the families isn't. Now, the Christian family, there is absolutely no distinction or difference between the Christian family and the non-Christian family. None at all. They don't, they don't talk differently. They don't live differently. They don't do anything differently. There's no difference whatsoever at all except sometimes they refer to their religious beliefs. That's it. 
Guys, that's not real Christianity. That's not true Christianity. Pastor Greg Laurie says it this way, Christians should differ from non-Christians in every realm, not just the religious realm. We should differ from non-Christians not simply because we show up at church on the weekend or attend a midweek Bible study. Rather, we should differ from non-Christians because we conduct our businesses differently. We treat our spouses differently. We raise our children differently. I had to stop on that one. Do I parent my children differently than my non-Christian friends? That, that one was personally convicting to me. Right? Our values should be different from those of non-Christians. People need to see this in our lives, but all too often it simply isn't happening. If we want to impact our world like the first century believers did, then we have to get back to the principles they applied, and it starts with the Christianity they practiced. Walking is one of the most common metaphors in the New Testament for discipleship. Walking. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in a way that, uh, a manner that's worthy of the calling with, with which you have received. Walking is this metaphor, and I love that as a metaphor because it's about the journey, not the destination, right? You're walking with Jesus. You're going on the road with Jesus. You're walking, not running. Discipleship isn't a, a quick, easy 100-meter uh, dash and then you're done. No, it's, it's a lifetime of going with Jesus. It's slow and sometimes it's hard, but you're going with Jesus. When, G, when you walk with Jesus or after Jesus, you walk with him. He's not just your guide, but he's also your traveling companion. He's saying, walk with me. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus in his way of life. Number three, a disciple of Jesus is someone whose identity comes from Jesus. A Christian is a person who is defined by Christ. Right? Two times in our story in John, Jesus defines a person. In verse 42, Andrew brought his brother Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is an Aramaic word. Peter comes from the Greek. They both mean rock. Right, so Jesus redefines for Peter who he is in the kingdom. Okay, Simon, you are my rock in my kingdom. That's who you are. That's your identity. Right? Uh, and then down in verse 47, Jesus does it again with Nathanael. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Who knows what Nathanael had been struggling with? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he was a Jew that lived in a culture that oppressed Jews. So who knows the insecurities that he dealt with? Who knows what other people had said about him that he had started to believe? Who knows the lies that he believed about himself? And Jesus says, no. You don't define your own identity. Society doesn't define your own identity. I define your identity. Here's who you are in my kingdom, Nathaniel. See, a disciple is someone whose identity is defined by Jesus, not by who you're sexually attracted to, not by the color of shirt you wear, not by the style of music you listen to, not by the political sign you put up in your yard, not by any of those things. You are who God says you are in Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. 
Now, uh, God speaks to us. When, when I was in seminary at Moody uh, Bible Institute, this has been years ago, but we had to do an assignment and we had to spend an hour in prayer a day for a week listening and journaling and writing and, and asking God, what is your personal mission statement? Who am I in your kingdom? And we had to write a personal mission statement in seven words or less after a week of spending an hour uh, in prayer a day. And this is what God spoke to me. It's my personal mission statement. Engineering the church to create kingdom glimpses. I'm a kingdom engineer. That's who I am in God's kingdom. My calling is to bring the church together and, and help us as we love one another, as we worship together, as we serve one another, to help us become a, a reflection or a glimpse or a preview of heaven on earth. That's what the church is supposed to be and I'm supposed to help us do that. That's why I became a pastor, right? So who does God say that you are? What does Jesus say about you and you might say I don't know what God says about me well that might be a great next step to ask God this week in prayer who what do you say about me who do you say that I am what is my identity in your kingdom right ask God about that number four a disciple of Jesus is someone who shares Jesus with others a Christian is a person who invites others into the life of Christ. Two times in this story in John chapter 1, new disciples share Jesus with others. Look at verse 41. He, meaning Andrew, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And down in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what did Philip say? Come and see. The same words that Jesus said to the first disciples that asked him, Where are you staying? Come, you'll see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, come and see. Right? Being a disciple of Jesus means sharing Jesus with others. That's part of what it means. Um, Gary Chapman is a a counselor and author. He's most famous for his book, The Five Love Languages. He's written lots of other stuff. But I heard him speaking at a conference one time, and he said, you haven't made a disciple until your disciple has made a disciple. A lot of times in American consumeristic Christianity, we miss the point of multiplication. And we think as long as I'm being a good person, as long as I'm learning more about the Bible, as long as I'm trying to to do the, the right thing, then I'm a faithful disciple. But we think that sharing Jesus with others is an optional exercise for the spiritually brave But it's not. It's part of what it means to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. You haven't made a disciple until your disciple has made a disciple. Right? When we sit in Bible studies and small groups for years upon years upon years upon years. And we're not multiplying and sharing and growing and inviting others into our life in Christ. Well, we're not being a faithful disciple until we start sharing Jesus with others. That's part of what it means 
to be a disciple of Jesus. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. That does not mean that you have to go out on the street corner and have awkward conversations with total strangers. Even in this story, they went to people that they knew. Andrew went to his brother. Philip went to his friend, Nathaniel. So the question is, who in your circle, who in your life needs Jesus? And how can you invite them into your life in Christ? How can you share Christ with them? Might be a neighbor, might be a coworker, might be a family member. But who in your life needs Jesus? And how can you share him with them? Let's put all four of these things up. A disciple of Jesus is someone who acknowledges Jesus as rabbi and Messiah, who is following Jesus in his way of life, whose identity comes from Jesus, and who shares Jesus with others. Four points about what it means to be a disciple. Now, I like three points, so let's turn it into three. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is coming to Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus with others. We say these a lot at Lakeview. A disciple is someone who is coming to Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and sharing Jesus with others. Over the next several weeks, we're going to explore these things a lot more. Next week, we're going to talk about becoming like Jesus and what does that mean and how do we do that. But the first step of discipleship is come to Jesus. Maybe that means to receive him as Lord and Savior to surrender to him as king as well as Messiah. Maybe that means uh, if you've already done that, maybe you need to turn away from your old way of life so that you can follow Jesus in his way of life. Maybe there's an area of your life where you're not following Jesus. Or maybe you need to believe what Jesus says about who you are in his kingdom. Maybe you need to stop believing the lies that the world has told you or the lies that you have told yourself and you need to start asking God and listening and believing to what he says about who you are. We're going to have communion in just a few moments, but I want us to take a moment to reflect first and have Matt come up. The first step of discipleship is come to Jesus. That's not just a step that we have to take one time. The first time that we come to Jesus and give him our lives, that we move across the line from unsaved to saved, we're born again, and we can never lose that salvation. But sometimes we wander, sometimes we forget, sometimes we go back to our old way of life and we have to come back to Jesus and say, yep, I confess that. I didn't lose, I didn't lose my standing in your kingdom, but I wandered away and I forgot who I am in you and I need to confess that and come back to you and receive your forgiveness and your mercy and confess that sin. And We're supposed to do that on a consistent basis. Communion is a great opportunity to stop and think about that. So as we reflect over the next minute, a few minutes, let me pray. We'll sing a little bit, we'll pray a little bit, and then we'll have communion together. Uh, Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to, to show us how to be the people you've created us to be and to make it possible for us to follow you because I'll confess to you, Lord Jesus, if it, w- if it was not for your death on the cross and your resurrection, sin would be uh, the king in my life, not you. And I couldn't follow you even if I wanted to. But because of who you are and what you've done, because you died and you rose again and you broke the power of sin and death in me, now you've made it possible for me to follow you in your kingdom and to be who you've said that I am. 
And if there's anybody in this room or listening online to the live stream that needs to surrender to you as their king, not just receive you as savior, but surrender to you as king, I pray that you would call them to make that decision in the next couple of minutes. As simple as acknowledging, yeah, I have not surrendered my life to you, but I want to, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. And when we make that simple decision, we receive your Holy Spirit, and we become a member of your family. For others of us, Lord, would you show us areas in our lives that we are not following you? That we can confess that to you and give it to you and learn to follow you and to live the way you lived? Would you speak to us about who we are in your kingdom? Who we are in Christ? Would you whisper that to our hearts? Would you show us who we can share Jesus with? God, we're open to whatever it is that you have to say to us this morning. And as we take the next couple of minutes to listen to you, I invite you to speak. Let's listen.